What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast this week. We have a great episode with the folks from Common Ground, formerly known as Cash Rent, and Brad and Chris are semi-local to me, so it's great to connect with them. They share the story of how this company was birthed and where it's headed today, and we discuss how Cash Rent has been so antiquated for a very long time and what they're doing to change it. So I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. This is a, a great piece here for someone that owns some ground and is maybe looking for help to navigate how to get higher cash rent for a parcel. I do apologize. We're a little late here on the launch of this we actually got a much needed weather event we got some moisture here uh last night and uh didn't have power here this morning so we have power now hope you guys enjoy this conversation if you're brand new here to the show the goal here is very simple to help 100 people buy their first piece of land there's three ways to be included on that list number one if you're in the state of illinois and you need assistance give me a call i'm happy to help number two if you want to get connected with someone that i would personally do business with i'm happy to give you a few options to give you a little bit of a footing to find someone that's going to help you buy your first farm and number three if you just simply learn something valuable from this podcast let me know i want to add you to the list and real quick on top of that exodus and osseo is doing a 750 dollars gift card giveaway for each brand so a total of 1500 all you have to do is let head to the link in the description sign up for that the winner is going to be announced may 19th 8 a.m central standard time and also if you're looking to check out a great mapping service I encourage Acres. I use it almost every single day. It is an excellent tool. It is so fast intuitive. Go from about five or six tabs down to one. You have the ability to look at comps. You have the ability to look at a lot of data in one dashboard. So head over to acres.com. Check that out. Like I said, not a sponsor, but I just simply believe in the software that they're building. Let's go ahead and get right into this episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Chris, Brad, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going? Good, you? I'm doing doing well here. I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, we were just talking here a little bit about just how unique um, some markets are in terms of how things are protected or uh, lack of information. And, and what you guys have going on is uh, basically trying to create a little bit more transparency in land and in cash rents and everything else. But um, before we get into this, I'm going to put you guys to the coals right away. So uh, hopefully you're prepared. Um, That's good. There's just a lot of excitement right now with land across the board. People feel like <clears throat> interest rates are increasing and land is still remaining very steady and it's still moving quickly and uh, tillable is still very strong. So you guys are really tied into this. What is your pulse or gut feeling of what the land market's going to behave like over the next 12 to 18 months? Brad, you want me to kick that off? Yeah, go ahead. Well, my crystal ball is uh, not very clear. I think uh, I think we're entering a um, period or have already entered into a period of a little bit of uncertainty, to say the least, with everything happening across the world, geopolitically, war. Um, you know, I think with inflation running hot, um, you know, land is always viewed as a great hedge on inflation. Um, commodities are, are staying right there. And, um, you know, obviously, we've had a pretty good bull run in equities. And, you know, in my personal opinion, I, I think you're seeing just a flight to safety um, and taking the profits to say, OK, we've had a good run in equities. Let's take some profits. Let's roll this into a stable inflation protected asset. And, you know, you've got um, a culmination of a couple different things, which, you know, they're not making any more land. And obviously, you know, supply of any investment um, plays to, you know, price stabilization. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is going to be tied to commodities and where we where we see those go. But, you know, like I said, my crystal ball is fuzzy, but I, I continue to believe that we're going to see strong demand for land 
um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And it's always fun to ask these questions because obviously no one knows the direct future. And there's so many variables to your point, like with commodities. Uh, what is how's the Argentina crop going to be? How's like oh, there's just so many things that go into it that people uh, probably don't think about. But, Brad, what's what's your pulse or gut feeling on this? You know, and I think uh, I'm right there in line with uh, exactly what Chris said that, you know, as inflation continues to stick around and uh, kind of rears ugly head continually, that uh, the, the hedge ability through the ownership of ground is obviously a very safe, uh, a safe spot. You know, it's no longer speculative. It's not speculative in my opinion, in any way, shape or form. It is, uh, it's just a solid um, opportunity to get into any, any of the land space realistically. Um, the, the tillable market in general, um, obviously as everybody's seen is remaining very strong that, um, you know, sales auctions are still bringing impressive numbers across the board. Um, we're seeing it in the values that uh, these cash rental rates um, on specific tracks are bringing that, you know, if there are three-year leases, five-year leases in, in a few cases that um, obviously these farmers are still um, believing that it is going to be very bullish for the foreseeable future. Um, the uh, the constant need for food, uh, you know, at the minimalist uh, point uh, across the world uh, is not getting any lesser. Um, I think there's going to be some uh, potential issues, like you said, down in Argentina. Um, what are those crops going to end up being like from South America this year? What What is going to be the end result of prices driven by potentially a, uh, a down year in yields? Um, so I'm, I'm 100% with Chris, very bullish uh, for the foreseeable future, for sure. And and I will add, I think, I think another component that is just starting to play um, in that land space is we're seeing, and I think everybody involved in the industry is seeing the push towards the green energy side of things and solar. And, you know, Brad and I talk about this a lot. When you start looking at, you know, solar companies paying $1,200, $1,400, $1,600 an acre, to lease that for 30, 40 years and take it out of crop production. When you see the USDA announcing that, you know, they're going to be able to start to use, you know, soybean oil extract for biodiesel and jet fuel. And, you know, at a lot of these ag conferences, the overarching theme has been, you know, when you start to get into the battle of food versus fuel, and you're taking more acres out of production or more grain out of that, you know, life cycle span for food, you know, you're you're traditionally going to see an increase in commodity prices and land values as they're used for alternative energy sources. So I think that food versus fuel battle is is going to continue um, to push land values in, a, in an upward trend. That's really interesting. Now, a lot of people that listen to this <clears throat> are probably more interested in, in mixed use type properties, so recreational mm -hmm. land. So obviously, the tillable markets have have been really, really strong and recreational seems to have followed that same pattern. Have, do you guys think that continues on or do you think it's just correlated to what commodities are and, and general tillable prices driving all of the asset class higher? You know, uh, my belief on that is that even on the recreational side from I'm sure what you've seen, um, you know, what I see out there that it's it's still as strong as it's ever been with no end in sight either. Um, you know, a lot of these recreational tracks that are available from time to time, you know, there is a mix of tillable and timber on them. If you if you're buying the 100 acre track, and it's got 40 tillable and 60 timber, a nicely laid out deer hunting farm, you know, possibly in, say, central Illinois. Um, 
out of that 40 tillable acres, we want to, you know, basically offer to that new landowner or existing landowner um, that has a mixed a mixed track like that, the opportunity to make sure that they're getting the most out of that ground um, on an annual ROI standpoint um, that maybe that hasn't been offered previously. You know, it's uh, a lot like uh, when we started with cash rent, now common ground, uh, you know, it was ultimately because of an experience that Chris had here with his um, with a, a recreational track that he owned in Fulton County, Illinois, um, still owns it. But he was able to drive his ROI up um, just by doing, uh, you know, a vast amount of research realistically on his own, which in a lot of cases, uh, landowners just might not have the aptitude or understanding to do that. And so, you know, if you can take 40 acres of tillable and all of a sudden now we are, um, we've offered a solution to be able to um, bring these farmers together and bring some transparency to the value of that 40 tillable acres on that track. Um, it inherently increases the value of that entire recreational piece. You know, um, we like to refer to it as uh, forced appreciation. That if uh, if you're looking at just a, a, cap, a basic cap rate in, so you know, we were I was getting $200 an acre on this 40 acres, so I'm bringing in $8,000 a year. It's not as great. It's covering my taxes. Uh, it allows me to do some improvements to habitat on the farm and stuff, all, all of which uh, is not cheap. You know, I think, as you know, that, uh, you know, if you need to bring a, a dozer in and do some of the, you know, the upkeep and improvements that are ideally done on the property, it does take some annual input um, of, of money from, from the landowner's pocket. And we want to just offer the opportunity on that side as well that, you know, hey, let's take your 200 um, an acre to, in a lot of cases, 300, 330, 340, 350, well, th that gives that landowner a whole bunch more ability to not have to reach into his pocketbook to make these improvements on a predominant track that is used for recreational purposes, deer hunting in so many of these cases, um, that, you know, if we can increase that 8,000 a year to 12,000, 13,000, 14,000, well, it's simply, um, you know, that resource can be used then to put back into the property on top of it, um, increasing the overall value of that tract um, at the time that that landowner decides to sell. Do you think that this movement <clears throat> has increased recreational land prices across the board, though? Like you, people thinking more of this way versus uh, in um, the past, it was just pure rec and now people are looking at I think it's absolutely gone that direction. And, you know, is it, you know, the tail wagging the dog? And if, if, if you look at, you know, the types of land buyers, when you're looking at, you know, 100 or 200 acre tracks or, you know, a, a flat black 80, and you look at the price difference, you know, these farmers, if, if they're buying strictly ag ground for farming, you're seeing that ground go for, you know, 16, 18, 20, 24, you know, depending on Illinois, Iowa and soil types. And it, it gets a little more difficult for the recreational investor to just jump in there, pay those prices and, and get a return. But I think what you're finding is, you know, guys like myself and and, you know, other other people that like to hunt and fish and, and get outdoors are finding this asset class and saying, well, hey, I can get I can get a mix of everything and I can have a place to take the family and four wheel and and hunt and have my hobbies taken care of. But also in turn, I can pick up, you know, a little bit of tillable with that that makes us a lot more palatable as an investment and it's going to appreciate over time. So. 
I think what we see is there are two distinct buyers. You know, you've got your Bill Gates of the world and and your mega farms that are just buying straight tillable and they just want to farm it. But I I think the the other side to that is hey, I can get the best of everything here, get some great recreational ground, get the kids off the iPads, have it inflation protected and have a rate of return that's reasonable and not risky. Yeah, no, that's that's really exciting. Now, this is a question that I'm sure uh, is kind of a birth what you guys have going on. But um, <clears throat> I love this because when you look up what is the the cash rent county average, I've always wondered who, how does that even decided or how who where is that information coming from? Because if that's the gold standard, how is it there? And so. Um, can you explain what that what that is or like how that is published? I believe in most instances, it's your typical like university ag extension. Um, so they're going to mail out surveys. Um, and, and I don't know if it's still done this way. Um, I know it was done this way a couple of years ago, but basically they'll mail out surveys to area growers. And basically say, hey, what are you, you know, seeing in rental rates? What are you typically paying on average in your county? This and that. And it's it's just kind of been take it, you know, at their own word. And then those ag extensions kind of take all that data and compile it and aggregate it and say, okay, this county average for these soil types is this. So it's it's pretty, you know, outdated. Because by the time that data is collected, it's really irrelevant because the whole landscape has changed by the time sure. it's received, compiled, and then put out for public consumption. The landscape is completely different. So it, um, you know, I, I laughed when I found out what my county average was versus what I could get on an open pan transparent marketplace. Yeah. Which there's a lot of things that come to mind with with that in itself of just uh, transparency in that transaction and having not just talking to one or two people that make cash rent your farm, but having a lot of people that are looking to grow their business, uh, farmers yeah. that are wanting to expand their operation. So, but anyways, so a lot of that is self-reported and obviously people can uh, figure out maybe some of the flaws that go with that because ultimately if the county average would be higher then you're basically these folks would be bidding against themselves. Uh, by, mm-hmm. But like, hey, well, I'm paying three fifty, uh, but really, I'm going to put two eighty because I want to try to keep my keep it closer. And I'm not saying people do that, but I think uh, sure. people would probably face that dilemma uh, if this is your livelihood. But yes. <clears throat> another question too, and and this is kind of something that just came to mind. So a lot of the CRP programs are based off of that county cash rent average, and so with what you guys have going on and seeing what some of these previous rates are versus post rates once they use uh, your guys's platform. Do you think eventually these average county cash rents are going to go up drastically to where a lot of the CRP contracts are also going to go up higher as well and maybe get closer to that $300 an acre cap in some parts of the country? It's tough to say because I don't I don't know at what point the switch is going to flip to these these publications that are coming up with these county averages. At, at what point are they going to get with the times and, and use a real-time data source like us? Are they going to continue to use the old antiquated model? And it's still said, I mean, this year's publication came out and showed, okay, you know, X County in Illinois, the cash rental average rate is this. And it's like, well, ours is $150 higher based off of real-time auction results. So I, I think it's a lagging indicator. And until these, until these data sources 
get up to speed with technology and start using real-time data, you know, it's it's always going to be a laggard. And, you know, that's the great thing about what we do on the price discovery model, which we call our cash rentstimate, is, you know, we use real-time data sets of, okay, we've got this soil, we've got this location within this county, and then here's some county yields, here's the weather data, you know, 10-year averages, and we take all these sources of data and we compile them into what we call a cash rentstimate to say, okay, this field in this you know county in this city, here's a range of where it should be. Well, that's that's the starting point of our algorithm and how this works. But basically, every time we hold an online cash rental lease auction, that data gets fed back into the equation, and so we're constantly like, we're constantly evolving that cash rentstimate, and we're becoming more dynamic every day with okay, where commodity prices are at, where input prices, you know, and and tying all that together. So if you run a cash rentstimate today, and then you go to run a cash rentstimate three months from now, they might be completely different numbers based off of real-time data. And on the same field. On the same field. And, you know, we, we actually have people on staff that contact, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of cash rentstimates run every year. And we have, you know, people on staff reaching back out to those landowners to say, hey, you did your cash rentstimate, you know, 16 months ago when corn was at four and a quarter, here's your new cash rentstimate and here's what rental rates are now. Mm-hmm. And and you're not seeing that increase in in what's published on the county levels yeah. through the ag extensions. It is it's, interesting how dynamic it is. But what were you going to say, Brad? Well, so much of so much of the platform um, is set up to just simply be a uh, a, a knowledge resource for the for the landowner. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a two sided marketplace, obviously. And I would argue that I mean, from the feedback that we've got from the farming community. Um, the vast, vast majority of these tenants um, really love what we're doing in the aspect that um, it's hard to grow your operation. And we're seeing uh, some unique activity from guys who are traveling now, um, you know, 100 plus miles to go to go farm, um, uh, ideally picking up tracks from between point A and point B along the way. Um, but I think the days of being able to be viable and kind of staying in your little 10 mile radius of your home farm, uh, it's getting much more challenging to grow. You know, there's only so much inventory or acres in that region that we're seeing some of these uh, these ambitious guys who are growing their operation. They're they're getting out of that kind of uh, that small localized area and understanding that. If I can run this equipment all the way along the, the way, if it, you know, obviously uh, travel time is a factor, but if you're farming all the way through, um, you know, it's it's really not bothering these guys. And it's been a, a very good way for some of these guys to grow their operation, to continue yeah. to expand. And so we look at it as, um, you know, and it's not just our opinion. This is true feedback from tenants that uh, this is a real blessing to a lot of guys um, because, you know, how are you supposed to go find a track of ground to lease that's 50 miles away from it's it's much more challenging. And so when we put, you know, that ability um, just at, you know, just log in and take a look uh, at what's out there currently um, or sign up for the notifications of, hey, there's a new track available in your geographic area. Uh, kind of to the stipulations of how wide you would like to see that. 
um, it's, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, the, the landowners are tickled. Um, we're seeing an average increase across the board of 39 and a half percent. That's huge. Um, yeah. Which is, which is huge, you know, which in turn, um, like we talked about, it increases the value of that ground when they go yeah. to sell. And, let's, and, let's, and what, what we, what we find comical to that is a lot of these farmers, um, you know, they might own a thousand acres and rent a thousand acres. Well, you know, one might say we're driving up rental rates. We don't set the rates. Your fellow farmers do. But, you know, we just spoke to what a true rental rate of going from 200 to 350 does for the value of that ground and its forced appreciation of changing an asset class. Well, what happens when that chunk of ground sells? It becomes a comp which that farmer who owned, you know, that thousand acres, it just raised his balance sheet through the roof because his ground is worth so much more. So it's, it's one of those things, a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. And when you're increasing rental rates and increasing the value of land, it is ultimately helping these farmers out, whether they realize it or not. And, and you look at, okay, I'm a farmer. I need to grow my operation or I got two kids getting out of, college that are going to want to come back to the farm. I need to grow these acres. What are your options? Are, are you just going to go out and gobble up more ground at 24,000 an acre? It's sometimes not even feasible, let alone palatable. So what's the next best way or what's the only other way? It's to rent more ground. And you see that with that expansion that Brad talked about with, you know, we've got farmers traveling 60, 70, 80 miles just to grow their operations and rent more ground. Mm-hmm. Let's let's kind of walk through an example too, I think where someone is a potential land buyer and they're looking, let's say, to buy something between 60 and 100 acres. And to your guys' point, let's say the listing says that the cash rent's like $180, when in reality it should be maybe 280 to 350, just for conversation's mm-hmm. sake. All of a sudden, this gentleman or person could potentially afford a larger parcel by utilizing your guys' tool to get more income to help service the debt or service the payment or lower to a few hundred dollars. And now, instead of buying a smaller piece, they can potentially get something a little bit larger. And to me, that's that's super powerful as a potential buyer to maximize maximize your ground and, and increase the uh, cash flow, increase the value. And then when that gentleman or person wants to go on and sell that, and uh, now instead of having like $6,000 of income, it has $12,000 of income, which is a yep. big difference. It's huge. And you know, I, I, Brad, Brad does it all the time. And, and we've got land brokers all over the Midwest that utilize the tool. And, and you know, Brad can speak to it best when he's walking that piece of ground with a buyer I mean, you can walk them through exactly how it goes down and their reaction from from start to finish and that that what it does for your relationship with your client, Brad. Yeah. And that's been, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're two sided. And Jake, I don't we hadn't really spoke about that, but we have now, which was previously previously cash is now common ground um, is the is the marketplace there. So that is our um, B2C sort of platform. Um, that that is available to all consumers. The general public can go um, get cash rent submits. They can look at their property. We can um, increase the uh, you know just the understanding of what that landowner has himself already. Um, the other side of our business is called Ground OS, which is uh, more of a B two B software system that um, a lot of land brokers, farm management companies, um, even some attorneys, um, accountants, have inherited 
um, to utilize in their day-to-day process of, you know, in the land broker case, selling ground. But it's a, a really great tool set that basically encompasses all of the needs that a land broker could have in, in one platform. And part of that is the cash rent that you can you can identify properties with a potential buyer and say, hey, listen, like this this property is currently at an ROI of 1.8, call it, for a recreational track or something like that. But through the data and the information that I have at my fingertips here through Ground OS, I believe that this should be bringing more like a 3 or a 3.2% ROI based on the data that is at my fingertips that I can pass along to my client. And so uh, you can, in many cases, get a client into a piece of property that is inherently potentially undervalued um, because of the current ROI that it's bringing. And so it's a great way to continue to, to build that relationship, that, that broker-client relationship to say, hey, listen, um, I've got opportunities for you to buy that are out there, but I've done my legwork and have found the two that are really outstanding that um, are undervalued because of the current ROI that's on them. And so let me help you get this ROI up. You purchase the property. Um, we, you know, uh, end the current situation with that tenant farmer state to state, depending on that deadline for termination in the fall. Um, but it, it gives that increased value that brokers can offer to their clients outside of a simple, hey, congratulations on the new property, see you later. Um, I would like to see all of these land brokers be more of a professional in the entire land space than just the buying and selling and moving to the next one. I want to be able to offer the ability for these brokers to get their, get their client into a new piece, increase that ROI, and really kind of coddle that relationship between that that um, that client and broker to the extent that um, that that landowner is going to be hard for them to when they go sell to want to arguably use a different broker or something keeping that relationship strong that hey Jake Jake not only got me into this track but Jake also got this track returning X amount more 30 40 percent more. And so when it's time to sell, Jake and myself are both going to get the benefit of the increase in value off of that. But Jake's my guy. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's not only good at brokering the ground, he's good at following through beyond that and making sure that I'm in as good of a position as I possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, I mean, Chris, your story before we start recording resonates, I think, with so many people. And just to kind of reiterate that on air of, you know, you bought a piece and you felt that the cash rent was low. And then this is kind of what birthed where you guys are at today in terms of necessity of making this process a little bit more transparent. But meaning that farmer had farmed it, let's say, for 10 years, and that's what he was going to pay. And then there's someone else eagerly willing to pay, you know, 50% more than that. So just if you want to revisit, you know, briefly kind of what your experience was and uh, how impactful it was for you. Yeah, no, I uh, would be glad to do so. And uh, like we said, I bought my first hobby farm and, you know, I'm an avid outdoorsman, love to hunt and fish and four wheel. And, you know, was fortunate enough to purchase that first farm uh, back in 2013 and uh, quickly became an owner of farm ground without even really focusing on that. It was a, it was a wreck piece. And, you know, it was, well, you need to meet the neighbor and he wanted to farm it. And, you know, it started out as a 50, 50 crop share and, you know, me being none the wiser, I said, yeah, let's do it. 
and, uh, you know, started getting seed bills, fertilizer bills. And, you know, I was basically a 50-50 partner in a farming operation and I really shouldn't have been. I wasn't qualified. And uh, that's when I said, hey, you know, let, let's do a, a straight cash rental agreement. And, you know, then that's when you get shot an offer. And, you know, entrepreneur that I am, bought and sold a lot of businesses and, and I've got a background in real estate. And, you know, it just, it left me wondering, why does this work this way? You know, why is an industry this large? And, you know, I think it's 70, 80 billion a year annually now. Why is there no price discovery? Why is there no transparency? Why is there no competitive nature at all? And, you know, it just led me down the rabbit hole of, you know, it, it was shocking to me when I GPS the field and realized I had two more acres than I thought I had, you know, yeah. just you know, something as simple as that, and then getting my soil samples and, you know, checking this data and talking with other farmers and realizing that there was a huge need for, you know, a data centric marketplace around agricultural ground. And, you know, that's, that's how this whole thing was, was brought to light. And, you know, I think our first conversation that Brad and I had was, you know, why can't we create the Airbnb meets Air, or eBay of farmland leasing? And, you know, anytime you inject price transparency and competitiveness, you're going to find price equilibrium in a market. And we see it on every single auction. And it just kind of goes like this. And then as you get towards the end, then it hockey sticks and it goes an hour longer than it was supposed to. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you see everybody tap out and you're like, boom, that range on that ground. That is what we, it had, can bring. we had 12 bidders willing to pay all within like a five to eight percent range. So, you know, the economics are, are staying true when you've got a group that's saying I can still make money at this rate. And, you know, it's that real time data and, and you know, it, all good things are born out of frustration. And, and that's what, you know, ultimately led, you know, Brad and I on this journey of, you know, creating a, a marketplace that, you know, I tell him all the time. I said, this is such a unique business model we came up with because everybody wins. There's a farmer that gains access to more ground that he ever, never otherwise would have got a crack at. And maybe he wins it. So there's a win for him. And then you've got the win for the landowner and the increased ROI and the increase in value of the land, which goes back full circle to that comp for that farmer that owns yep. ground. And we win through a, you know, a viable business model of bringing two parties together um, to maximize everybody's yield. Yeah, that's really cool. And so someone's probably wondering, well, how accurate is the cash estimate? Is it like within a 5% variance, 4% we, variance? Well, what we do is we provide a range because the crazy thing about the agricultural industry is you can have, you know, I'll get a little technical here, but you can have a, a class A soil, which is, you know, let's call it a 137 PI, which is productivity index. You can have a 137 PI in one part of the state and a 137 PI in another part of the state. It's two different groups of, you know, ag professionals and rental rates are very territorial where you might find, oh, over in this part of the state, that 137 PI will go for five and a quarter. Well, you go over across the state to West Central Illinois, that same PI, that same yield, those guys might be tapping out at 390 or 420 an acre. 
just because you've got different dynamics at play with maybe the average operation over in that part of the state is running eight, 10, 12,000 acres, and they're buying inputs at scale. You know, mm -hmm. they're paying a lot less for seed. So you go over to that West central part of the state and maybe your average operation is 2,500 acres and they're buying seed and inputs at a different rate. So they can't pay as much. So that's, it's very important that we pro provide a range so you'll get a low, a mid, and a high. We keep it very conservative, and it speaks to our auction results because 90% of our online lease auctions go over our high estimate. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's mm -hmm. a that's a really good point in terms of how localized cash rent can be and then to have, once it, again, the transparency where you guys have is, the data. It's hyper-localized, and I think that's why we're finding the results we're finding because before it was the coffee shop and only the farmers that visited that coffee shop found out about that opportunity or somebody passed away and the kids are getting it. And just that core little 10 mile radius only knew about it. Mm -hmm. But when you open that up to a 60 mile radius and you increase that bidding pool, you're naturally going to have the effect that we're having. And I think our average farm gets 12 bidders that in combined, I think it's like a 67 bids placed between those 12 going back and forth. Um, so it's it's just a very interesting dynamic with, with how hyper-localized rental rates can get and what breaking that barrier can do for a marketplace. And, and Jake, we've intentionally kept that range um, on the conservative side. You know, we, we do typically go over the high end of our cash rent estimate range, um, you know, that is is perfectly fine with everybody involved. But uh, there's some factors, you know, field to field that um, in, in a lot of cases, maybe the landowner doesn't know if there's field tile in there. They have they have no idea. And so there's, there's different variables. Um, you know, in some cases, the say you've got a 130 PI tract in um, Peoria County, Illinois, and it just simply doesn't have the quality of access maybe that a neighboring 130 PI tract in Peoria County, Illinois has. And so, you know, just that range itself, um, we're trying to take into account, you know, if it is simple stuff like access into the tract, if, if there is tile that's unknown about, if there's, you know, any of these other factors that can go in there, is the purpose behind the range? Um, just as a, a ballpark, and it, in most cases, um, I would be willing to bet that we're still, our range, even in the middle, middle of our range, is higher than what a lot of people are getting currently. 100%. I mean, I'm looking at your guys' website right now. Just to run through a couple, you know, I'm sure these are some of the marquee ones, but uh, Fulton County, Illinois property, 285, went to 445. Mm -hmm. a Sac County, Iowa, 360 to 620. And then one in Hancock County, Indiana, 210 to 395. And then Fremont County, Iowa, 245 to 415. Those are staggering. Those aren't just, it's not no. just a little bit. I mean, that's a drastic increase. And we see some double. We see some go from 200 to 400. We we had a, we had a gal, um, she was in her early 80s and her son-in-law called me and said, hey, I heard about what you're doing. I handle the farm for my mother-in-law. Her lease is up. I think she's getting shortchanged. And it's her main source of income aside mm -hmm. from Social Security. And um, he goes, you know, how does this process work? I walked him through. We did a cash rent estimate. And I think on the high side of his cash rent estimate, 
he should have been getting 350. And um, he's like, man, we're getting 270 right now. And it was, I believe, close to 150, 160 acres. And he's like, if we can go from that 270 up to 350, that's going to be life changing for my mother-in-law. Well, it wound up going for 450 an acre. Wow. And he said, my mother-in-law was in absolute tears. And we had a farmer that was ecstatic that picked up a great new farm, mm -hmm. a landowner that was ecstatic for the increase in her everyday income source. And obviously a son-in-law that was happy and we were happy. Yeah. And, you know, it, these are real results and changing people's lives. And they're, these aren't flyers. This is pretty much the overarching theme of most of these auctions. And that's why we're seeing a 40% increase on average. And I, and I do want to point out while we're talking about this, high bid doesn't win. We absolutely leave it up to the landowner mm -hmm. because it's their asset. And, you know, we see people get picked for a myriad of reasons. So you might have that guy that's at 475 and he's the high bid. He might live 50 miles away. And the next guy under $10 below him lives two miles from the farm. That landowner says, hey, I want the guy that's gonna drive past it every day and clean up the ditches and, and put their eyes on it. We have landowners that say, hey, I, I know that third highest bidder, I uh, noticed he was in his you know early 30s. I want to give a young kid a shot and have somebody that's going to be on here for the next 30 years where maybe the high bidder was, you know, in his mid seventies and only going to be farming a few more years. So it's totally hundred percent up to the landowner. It's their asset. We put them in the driver's seat and every farmer that comes on the site fills out a farmer profile, which is basically like a resume. Mm -hmm. And then all the bidding is anonymous, but at the conclusion of that auction, the landowner can look and say, here's this guy, here's his resume, here's how many acres he farms, here's how old he is, and basically gets a snapshot. And then we walk them through, hey, you know, give them a really white glove experience, you know, as that landowner to say, here are your options, you know, here's here's what you're presented with. What would you like to proceed with? And and you know, more oftentimes than not, high bid doesn't win. And as long as the landowner's happy with their decision. We are too. Yeah. And on the on the backside of this, Jake, we do um, we do offer a, a pretty in depth vetting of these of the bidders. Um, you know, the, if the landowner put in in a lot of cases, maybe they don't live locally there, or even recognize you know a, a tenant's name that is outside of their existing tenant farmer for that region. And so, you know, we we do uh, we get um, you know bank records if uh, requested by. Um, the, the landowner, we can help facilitate a lot of that vetting. Um, and then on, you know, on the broker side, um, as a ground OS user that Jake, you, uh, you brought one of your clients properties to the platform, um, that goes through you. And so at that point, then we rely on that individual broker who has the local expertise in that region, um, to go through these tenants and say, Hey, listen, I've got I've got some connections with this guy, this guy, and this guy. Let me make a few phone calls and try to figure out which one of these is ultimately the best for you. You know, mm -hmm. from the land broker, land professional standpoint, I think it's it's a great ad as well to be able to help that landowner choose which is the best of the options for them, yeah. for for their needs, their desires. The other side of Ground OS, which we haven't uh, touched on yet, is how, how our co-op of sorts works with individual land brokers who bring properties to the platform um, that we're always 100% staffed to 
help out to create those listings, to walk these brokers through the process, um, which after you do it once or twice, it's a five minute process to get, you know, a, a new listing up. But say, Jake, you, uh, you, you said, hey, Brad, I've got, a, uh, I've got a new piece of ground that just traded hands. Uh, the new landowner is interested in increasing his ROI. Here's the property. Um, let's create this listing. How we, how we um, get paid um, through our company, uh, we have it set up to where the landowner gets the full bid amount. Okay, so if it's 100 acres at $300 an acre for a three-year lease, that's 30000 a year um, over the duration, that's a $90,000 lease. They get all of that. Uh, the, um, the payment to our platform comes from that um, selected tenant farmer as a 4% of the gross lease paid at the time that the lease is signed and executed electronically through the platform. And so uh, with, with that specific one um, earmarked as Jake Hofer's listing, per se, we split that um, 4% uh, directly with you as the broker who brought that inventory as a 2% co-op and a 2% co-op. So mm-hmm. um, out of that $90,000 gross lease, you would um, have the benefit of basically getting a check from uh, Common Ground uh, you know, month on month at the end of every month, uh, on that specific track for $1,800, you know, 2% of the 90,000 up mm-hmm. front. And we've had, we've had some brokers, um, who work very closely with us that, um, have been making like staggering money off of this, that, uh, it's, it's not only a sideline and an average added value to their clients, but they get some. They get financial benefit on the back end of it as well. Um, to for their time, uh, for them bringing that inventory, uh, but also kind of managing that listing, just like it was a for sale list. You know, and, you and it, we've got bro- we've got brokers in Indiana and Missouri and Iowa, and you know, like to Brad's point, they know the better operators in that area better than we do, you know, and, you know, it's, it's almost like a a distribution network for us on the ground OS side of things is, you know, you've got land brokers that are localized experts, all things land. And, you know, when, when when you've got that relationship and you can share those economics with them because they are the boots on the ground and they're the experts in their area, you know, now you're a broker making money on the buy side, the sell side and the lease side. So it's a true game changer for an alternative brand new revenue stream for a traditional brokerage firm that that had, we've seen incredible results with. Yeah, that's really exciting. And I think what it's most exciting for is prospective landowners, current landowners, uh, just to get more money in their pocket and and make it a more viable investment. Because I mean, it is arguably a luxury luxury investment or a luxury purchase, recreational ground in, in particular, and to help make that uh, more accessible to everyone, I think is is super exciting. And Absolutely. I think, it's, Jake, it's, you know, we, uh, we've recently gone through a, uh, a rebrand from what was catchrent.com to now we're common ground. Um, and we did that in part that we saw a huge um, demand for hunting leases. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. So, uh, yeah, I assume you guys offer Dude. hunting leases. I know I know the answer is yes, but I'm framing it that way. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so we've seen um, pretty much the exact same sort of increase in ROI as we see on the Tilbo side. 
it, it's been almost a mirror image on the hunting lease side that, um, you know, if you were to just put a price tag on something and throw it out there to whatever extended group you can get it to, well, that's the price. And there's probably going to be some negotiation off of that price as well to, to get that lease completed uh, in some cases anyway. But to put it out, you know, through our marketing channels, through our, our massive umbrella covering of all of these folks interested in those sort of activities, um, we've seen farms go from, well, you know, in, in our county for a good deer hunting track, say it's $30, $35 an acre. We've seen those now jump to $50, $60 an acre wow. because people are willing to people that's what people are ultimately willing to pay and so and land prices have gone up drastically too i mean it, it all yeah goes together it should all be relative and, and we've had multiple now um actual uh operating tenant landowners who say hey i've got i've got 80 acres of timber kind of in that make up a couple of these different tracks i'm just a farmer i i'm not hunting um i've maybe leased in the past for fifteen hundred dollars a year something like that well, they're taking now the opportunity to put their own hunting timber ground through our platform as as landowner tenant farmers, you know, that aren't utilizing it. Or you run into these folks who have these mixed tracks um, that maybe have no interest in hunting whatsoever. And so it's just an, another uh, avenue for um, or vehicle, I suppose, to increase that property's ROI year sure. on we had, a, we had a specific example. It was a, I think he was a retired farmer, had no interest in hunting. And he had previously leased out, I think he had like eight or 900 acres total. It was, it was a mixed use ground. And uh, I think he was getting around 1500 a year. And we put it on the site and broke it up into two tracks. And he went from 1500 to 20 grand a year. I, say, I, I would have loved to lease that $1,500. <laughs> so, but you get one again, it's the localization factor yeah. of things. And we've listed ground, you know, hunting leases in Kentucky, where it's a group of guys from Pennsylvania that, that wound yeah. up taking it. And Indiana, we had a guy from New York and a group of his guys take it. So it, it's, it's leaving it open, transparent and competitive that you know what the true rate is. And and when we started doing those over in Indiana, everybody was dead set. No, it's 25, 30 bucks an acre. And then the auction started going for 60, 65, 70. And they're like, oh, well, I guess that's the new going rate, isn't it? And it's like, well, yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Part of that is the marketing that we can put behind each one of these properties too, Jake, that, you know, on um, whether it's social media platforms um, through our huge uh, group of, potential interested uh, folks to lease that ground, you know, we push every one of these listings ourselves as well. And so it's not just up to the landowner, like throw it up there. Good luck. We, we very directly market each and every property that comes through the platform. And we have the advantage of being able to market these properties at scale because we do so many. If you're an individual landowner that has 200 acres and he wants to, you know, market it, what yeah, are his options? Yeah. What are his uh, options? Where, Facebook. Exactly. Uh, some random where, forums. Yeah. Yes. Where we've got a marketing engine and budget behind us because we're doing this at scale. We can market for pennies on the dollar and create much more exposure and much more value to these landowners than they could ever otherwise achieve on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super exciting. Now, let's say someone has a 200 acre track and they really don't care about turkey hunting. Could they lease out just the turkey hunting rights on? Yes. On 
That's, yep. that's pretty neat. We've got one in Missouri right now that just went up. That um, really nice, a couple hundred acres in Missouri. I think uh, he's allowing up to five guys a year for three years um, to just strictly turkey hunt, mm-hmm. you know, or strictly, um, you know, fish. If if one of these properties has a lake, you can you can set up the lease for fishing rights on that, or it can be just for shotgun deer season or, or gun season. It could be for bow season uh, in the fall for deer only. Um, it's really- you know, yeah. whatever you when you so when you go through and select your hunting lease. You basically have a, a section of radio buttons that you check. So, and then it's fully customizable on anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a, that's another great thing there too. Or even, or even some guys that maybe buy in Iowa and they can only hunt that farm every three years or four years or five years, depending on the area. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, you can really maximize the income on the years you're not there, and then still have that farm to go hunt when you draw on you know two to six years depending on Absolutely. What and set the stipulations on that you know that you have you're yeah, gonna, a certain uh, minimum penalty yep. yeah I require records of, of each of your shot there's how many i'm going to allow allow to be taken off the farm and they have to be in this uh the five plus year old age class um, we've, we've got a farm that is is currently under those stipulations that should be coming on the site here within what the, by the end of the week hopefully brad yeah Iowa or Illinois? Texas. Texas. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. that that's not going to be a little lease, is it? <laughs> so, it's, so foggy. It, it's probably one of the neatest, neatest experiences I've had in a, in a while, actually, getting to go through this 15,000-acre ranch in West Texas that, um, you know, I learned a lot about that region while I was there from the, the ranch owner, uh, Paul Holden. And so what Paul described is that 50 years ago in this region of Texas, they didn't really have any white-tailed deer. And so the, the state introduced um, deer from, uh, from Kansas, actually. And so uh, they don't uh, appear to be like that expected South Texas. Really skinny big looking. Antlers, tiny yeah. body sort of stuff. These are like, these are Midwestern looking white-tailed on That's this cool. range. Um, and he's in a program through the state that he gets allotted tags for the entire ranch annually. And so with those allotted tags, it allows him to say, take 40 bucks off of the, off of the ranch every year. Well, he's splitting, we're splitting this 15,000 acres into three separate tracks. And so there'll be an allotment of buck tags that are allowed for each, each section of that. Um, but for a lot of guys, uh, it's beneficial in the aspect that I think their their seasons range from like October, the beginning of October till the end of February. But on the ranch, you have the ability then to rifle hunt the entire season, um, you know, because he's in this program of very, very strict management. They're shooting only five, six year old deer. Um, there's been multiple 200 inch whitetails taken off that off that ranch. And uh, once we have all the media compiled on this, um, I'm going to get you a cop Jake, it's like nothing I've ever seen. The, uh, you know, we're driving around and um, the rancher said that when he does his full loop to go pull trail camera cards, um, and I got to get him on some sort of a cell plan, I, I, I suppose, um, ideally with your, with yeah. your camera, but um, it's a 65 mile trek to go, oh pull all of his, yeah, to go pull cards on all of his cameras. Um, so just the vastness and the amount of animals that we saw there was like, like nothing I've ever seen. So when that goes up, it's 15,000 acres. Is someone going to lease that entire 15,000 acres or is it, how's it going to get chopped it's up? Or what's the, it, it's one, chopped up into three, right? And then yeah. if they want all three, they can bid on all three. Mm-hmm. 
6,600 acres, 4,600 acres, and like a 4,000 acre tract. How'd that lead come in? I'm curious, like how, how does that even happen? I spoke at an event and um, somebody in the crowd heard me talking about hunting leases mm-hmm. and uh, wound up emailing me about a week later and said, Hey, I, I got a buddy here in you know West Texas and uh, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, putting this ranch out for, for a hunting lease. And uh-huh. I think it was Within two weeks, Brad was down there doing drone footage and filming, and yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been great. But that, that's pretty massive lease, yeah. and, uh, a unique one at best. And yeah. he, you know, it is an operating cattle ranch, and so the the um, the ranch owner had previously outfitted it himself per se. Um, some very big names in the hunting space, uh, David Blanton. You know, all of the uh, a lot of the Realtree folks, um, but other big names uh, spend time there annually. I think up until a couple of years ago, David Blanton's largest whitetail to date came off of this ranch. That's cool. And yeah, it's it's really it's just like nothing I've ever seen. Well, I mean, we're coming up on time here, but I just I just want you kind of like a gut check. I mean, obviously, to me, from the outside looking in, it seems like land overall is seeing kind of a renaissance of technology really coming quickly and a really antiquated, slow-moving industry. What do you? What does that mean to you? Or, or does that make you excited? Does that make you a little nervous? Obviously, you guys are in the technology it's, space, but what do you think? It, it's overwhelmingly exciting because I, I go through all the time. And, and you know I read all these articles, and I just read one two or three days ago. And it was the corn yields 10 years ago, year by year, up till this year. And we've really seen, like you say, Renaissance time in the ag tech space. And it's only good for our industry because you're seeing increased yields due to, you know, all the GMO seeds and drought resistant seeds. You're seeing, you know, and it's benefiting yields and farmers. You're seeing the ag space with their precision planting and, and being able to plant just meticulous and get better results from that combines are harvesting 30 percent more corn and beans than they used to instead of it just dropping on the ground so as all this technology keeps evolving and yields keep going up that should start to get reflected back to the core asset holder the landowner and we haven't seen that whipsaw and i think that's a huge part of our success is you know we were talking to a guy the other day in iowa he said 15 years ago, I was getting 140 bushel corn. Now I'm getting 250. Yeah. They're not passing that along immediately to the landowner as their sale agreement don't get renegotiated. I get that too. Yeah. You know, and it's so from a tech side, we've seen the ag tech really on the more manufacturing and seed side and equipment side. But I think with, you know, your FBNs and what they're doing and what we're doing, you're seeing marketplaces transform now as well. And that's really exciting for us because, you know, we've been doing this, you know, at market at scale for three years now. We're just at the start. And, you know, the next decade is going to be incredible for everybody involved in the space. So I'm, I'm overwhelmingly bullish on, on everything. So as a potential landowner, there's someone listening to right, listen to this right now, that's eagerly saving for their first down payment on a farm. Do you think this is all great for future landholders, like buy now as things continue to rise with efficiencies in the market? 
Like it's going to inherently go up. I do. I mean, you're going to, it's a market that you're going to see have its ups and downs. Sure. But no, long term, I don't see that trend, you know, changing at all. And, you know, I'm not a genius, but when I see guys like Bill Gates and, you know, professional athletes starting to buy ground as investments, like, you know, that's a pretty good sign for the future. But yeah, you're going to have your your down periods just like any investment. But overall, I, I think farmland's the second best performing asset over every asset class is long-term return. I, I think it's sitting at like 12 or 13% when you adjust for inflation. And what's most exciting about that to me is, let's say the S&P 500 is a, is a point higher. I can't do anything to impact the S&P 500, but I can fix my field and trim trim the edges and get a little bit better or Absolutely. just improve the soil. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, I think you could beat that market if you're active. And the other thing too is, and this is just my gut feeling, I feel like the land market across the board is going to become so much more efficient with all this data. And right now, I still feel like there's areas of the country that are very inefficient and and not as data-driven as other parts of the country. That's just my gut feeling. I don't have data to back that up, but I think that's going to change as well. Yeah, and I, I also think there's just a shift in how people view land in general. Because, you know, when you see your kids on iPads and cell phones and they're just buried in, in screen time versus, you know, we're just out at the farm all weekend. My kid didn't ask for an iPad once. He wanted to be outside. He wanted to be running through the woods, looking for sheds. And and there's just, you know, how often do you get to go out and play with your S&P 500 stock? You know, it sits there. It's on the screen. You think it exists. It's got some value, but there's, there's no tangible value that you get out of it. And I think that's what's making the land space so interesting is you're getting doctors and, and executives and people saying, hey, I, I can buy this piece of ground. It's a decent investment. It's got great inflation protection and I can go enjoy it. That's the big thing. Yeah. That's the big thing. Yeah. Brad, what's your what's your gut check on all this? Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm right there in line with Chris's thoughts on that. That um, you know, it's it's a hard to me, it, it's it's hard as a landowner to say, no, I can't jive with this. Like, you know, it's in many cases, you don't have to change anything other than just get the best tenant on your farm possible. And we want to be able to set that up for all these landowners. So um, when you've got an asset that you don't have to necessarily touch even anything on, and you can increase the value of that and your ROI by 30, 40, 50%, in some cases more, and it doesn't cost the landowner anything, it's completely free for the landowner, it's really hard to say no to. I bet you, yeah, those sales calls are pretty easy because there's really not much to object there. So you're telling me I don't have to pay any fee and I also get to pick who I want and it's not just the top dollar and I have full uh, freedom to basically lay the parameters how I want. I mean, basically a no-brainer for anyone. Yeah, it's hard to say no. Yeah. No, that's really exciting. Well, I'm I'm super jacked to see what you guys have going on. Obviously, you uh, I feel like we're semi-local. Uh, I'm North Peoria, and obviously, you guys are kind of where you guys call home. So that's really cool to see. It's really exciting to see your guys' success. And you guys just did a another round of funding uh, earlier this spring too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so what is I guess give us the the clip notes version of what the future may hold and where people can find you guys. Uh, well, after the rebranding, I mean, you can still go to cashrent.com. It'll take you to commonground.io. That's our B2C marketplace. And then, um, you know, if if you're in the land professional space, land brokers, farm managers, um, anything land, you can go to um, Ground OS 
Um, that's that B2B product and um, start using, you know, those tools to, you know, increase the efficiency of, of your business. But we're we're just super bullish on the future, super excited. Um, love what we're doing. It's it's always great getting a new tenant farmer excited about growing his operation. It's great seeing landowners increase their ROI and, and we're growing at a great clip and having fun every day. And it's it's great to be impacting an asset class that hasn't been impacted in a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, uh, where, where can people find you guys? Just uh, say it one more time here and uh, we'll put it in the description. And, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. Just head over to commonground.io. Perfect. There you guys have it. Thank you to Brad and Chris for taking the time to talk about what they have going on. What's interesting is how fast this market changes. We recorded this back in February and uh, commodity prices have uh, gone down a little bit, but just regardless, some great valuable information out of this episode. Hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, see you guys.